writing. Ah. Ooh, Sikilisa. Asha, Asha. God, it is. Why didn't that get nominated for best score? I know. Get Out was never really talked about in the craft categories, which is wild to me. There's a few shots that I think we'll talk about as we go on here. Give it uh, cinematography, give it editing. Also, I thought about this earlier today. Why didn't Wonder Woman get nominated for anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it. It wouldn't have made any category for me. I, I liked it a lot, but I don't think... I, think that I it's, guess, yeah, what would have it have made? Maybe sound? <laughs> okay. I mean, I feel like there are... I mean, I don't know that I'd give... I know. I would give Blade Runner at least cinematography, cinematography. Yeah. and visual effects. I give it production design, too, I think. For, yeah, I for Ryan's would, apartment. Sure. I guess what would, would you throw Wonder Woman outside of sound? I, visual effects. I just don't sure, like why not? Blade Runner, so I don't want to reward it. I The more distance I have from Blade Runner, the more I think about the ex, my experience watching it and how even though I was constantly critiquing in my head, I was absolutely there for pretty much all of it and because it's like two and a half hours that is that's it's a common it's an accomplishment because it's a gripping movie meaningful anyway okay shut up <laughs> all right welcome to movies imo uh we are your fave film fags here to talk about a motion picture we all love quite a bit i'm daniel crook i'm ben empey i'm brandon kirby Today, we are here to talk about the motion picture Get Out, which came out almost a year ago, and last week was nominated in the categories of Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards. Yay. Which is too exciting for words. If you look at the IMDb, and this is nominated for four Oscars, another 87 wins and 146 nominations. My favorite is that Daniel Kaluuya wins the National Society of Film Critics Award for Best Actor. Yeah. Which after rewatching it for the third time today, I mean there's I'm still seeing new shades of that performance. Oh my god. He's yeah. Ripping. The second time I watched it, I picked up so much more. Mm-hmm. It was so much I mean it was already amazing, but it was even better a second time. Yeah, considering how the tone of the movie is all through his eyes. I mean, the movie really depends on his face and his mm-hmm. eyes to work. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the really subtle shifts in this movie are thanks to Daniel Kaluuya, because so much of the movie is told in microaggressions, which I've definitely said on the mic at some point. And as an audience, we definitely are conditioned to read it in a certain way, but we know the film's point of view also through his performance. Yeah. Yeah, nothing nothing that the white people do would read as a microaggression to the white people in the audience without Daniel Kaluuya's performance. Right. Um, I wanted to read that uh, Metacritic aggregates all the top ten lists at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. uh, They they assign point values, and Get Out is number one with a total of 309.5 points, and the number two is a full 50 points lower. It's Lady Bird at 255. Wow. Uh, so that's pretty amazing. It is running it, ahead of the pack. It, it is Grandpa doing the 50-meter sprints at night. God. That's how fast it's moving the in front get, of Lady Remember Bird. the Get Out Challenge? It's the deer. What's the Get Out Challenge? Where uh, Twitter would... Uh, uh, run into a they, wall they, and try to turn Yeah, last they would run and turn last minute and people would record it on video. My favorite of the, because that became a meme, right? So like yeah. a fake, like you versus Bay and Bay's trying to get you to come over and you're like, nah, I can't, I'm at home. Or like, oh, nah, I'm tired. Right. And then Bay says something and then your response is the screenshot of running towards the camera. <laughs> yeah. But my favorite one was Seinfeld 2000. It was like, 
Bay, come over. Me, not too tired. Bay, new episodes of Seinfeld on TV. <laughs> Me, <laughs> Ryan. Get out into the camera. Yes. Um, I mean, we're, we've got so much to talk about here. Does anybody want to sort of kick off with uh, any any opening remarks? Do you want to give uh, a just a quick yeah. plot summary? Oh, in, yeah. In case anyone hasn't seen it. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I would definitely check it out. You've had it's 11 months. It's on HBO months. Go. Yeah. Hell yeah, it is. And, and I've rewatched it twice on HBO Go. Um, and at least in LA, it's coming back to theaters. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure that it'll come out nationwide. I think on Deadline I saw, officially, it's going to have a small re-release. Yeah, it should. I mean... I saw I, Dunkirk is coming back, too. Just I'm just bringing that up. Oh, whoopee. As as, uh, Actually, I do. I, I'll probably see, I see it again. again cause, uh, I was so torn when I saw the news today about Get Out being re-released, whether or not I was going to see it in theaters, because next to Mad Max Fury Road, Get Out is the most fun I've had in a movie theater in ages i mean with an audience like mm-hmm. this is an audience experience you don't want to miss like yeah. everybody just reacting to the film as it's going just like the tension in the room as people are shifting in their seats and then in the third act when it just gets all crazy and explosive like Ugh. i don't know about you guys but my i think this was pretty much true for everybody i guess but like my audience like we were screaming we were i saw it cheering thursday night when it came out and my audience was holy shit they were lit they were lit nice. it was like one of the first audiences seeing this movie like right. yeah. people were out of their mind excited. Could you imagine being at Sundance and then it is surprise screening? Huh. I can't. I, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it on the morning of the Academy Awards. So nice. I, And I went to the 11 o'clock showing in Alhambra. So I started my day with Get Out and I ended it with Moonlight winning Best Picture. Oh, that's so good. And did I think watching that movie that I w- we were going to be talking about Get Out in the Awards conversation a year later? Right. I did not. I mean, I I immediately... like out, Like... I remember leaving the theater with my friends and just wanted to talk about, like, isn't it brilliant how Jordan Peele is, like, laying all this track for the first third that you don't even know is going to come back later, like, about, mm-hmm. uh, like, the Arbitrage family's, like, obsession with black bodies. Like, it's very subtle. And then the whole movie becomes about the commodification of that. Anyway, like, I wanted to dig into this movie from the second I saw it. it and it, and I don't feel that way with every movie I see, even movies I love. Like, right. I don't necessarily want have to talk about them afterwards, but Get Out got a conversation starting. Yeah. And I'm... Thrilled to pieces that, that we are here talking about it a year later, which I think we would want to talk about it anyway, but we are talking about it because we are still talking about it. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I think it just I, goes to show that if your movie is really a masterpiece, you can release it any time of the year. Yeah. And exactly. it's like when you get into the fall is when like you get hyped up and movies that shouldn't get hyped up get hyped up. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't if they came out in April. I think that's true. Yeah. And I think, like, Jordan Peele just made the movie he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. He had something to say. He made a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Just Blumhouse released it in February. I don't think they thought it was going to be an awards juggernaut. Mm-hmm. I think they knew it was going to be an audience hit. Not sure they thought it was going to make as much money as it did. Yeah. yeah. Which, does anybody know off the top of their head how much money it made? Uh, I don't. I don't. We'll, I we'll look it up and we'll say at some point. But I think that Blumhouse made a really smart decision making this movie and getting in the Jordan Peele business. But yeah, I mean, no, I, I don't think they were expecting this. Out. I mean, model. model, yeah. It just goes to show that, um, like you said, Ben, like two hundred fifty. Yeah, worldwide for a five a for a five million, yeah, yeah, four and a half million dollar budget. Yeah, like if it's good, <laughs> that's amazing. People, it's the will most pay attention. profitable movie of all time, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. I don't know. But that's quite a markup. Yeah. That's quite a markup. I think in terms of both, like, when you combine proportionally and, like, actual dollar value, it is 
considered the most profitable movie of all time. Yeah. Wow. Because not only not only did it make two hundred fifty million, it's like and change, and that and change is the budget. the The profit is two hundred and fifty million. Oh, that's not the gross. It's two fifty four and six, which is more than four and a half. So. Yeah, it's a lot. It's amazing. It's a lot, and it's mostly domestic, which is also remarkable. Not yeah. for a movie like this, because this is a movie that is really only going to play to America. Right. I mean, I mean only, this but... is not this is not a movie for the Chinese audience. It was. It looks like about two. And that's the Chinese audience's fault. Yeah. And well, and, I mean, it proves that if you've got the goods, people are going to go. And yeah. The, the thing is, is it it is definitely a message movie on one level because it is brilliantly articulating a the state of not just race relations in America in 2017, but just you know does a really great job of interrogating the myriad ways that in like that's uh, lowercase r racism manifests just as big as capital R. Yeah. And so I think right. that's it's part like of the iceberg. Uh, have you guys seen the iceberg graphic where it's like at the top is like lynching and at the bottom of the iceberg is like the microaggressions of life. Yeah. And, and it's a really great illustration of and that. And so much of this yeah. movie for the millionth time is told that there's microaggressions. Um, there's there's a line in Get Out that I think is really key to understanding it. Which, I mean, not that not that no one is going to hear this and be like, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, that's cracks it. But it's when Chris is explaining to um, Rose about uh, how Georgina has been... Uh, or or how how the how the grandpa how the woodcutting grandpa was talking to him, mm-hmm. and she's sort of she's like okay so you think you like has a cr- you think I have a chance like not taking it seriously and then he says it's not what he said it's how he said it yeah and that's why so much of this movie like the dialogue it's in the subtext mm-hmm. like the where the tension is between Chris and the white characters, which is great. Um, yeah. It's really, I mean, what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to talk about Hitchcock. Yeah. Well, Ben, it's <laughs> not, it's not what you say, it's, it's how, how you I say it. it. I just think there are maybe three movies this year that remind me of Hitchcock, and it's Phantom Thread, Call Me By Your Name, and this. Mm-hmm. And, like, I just feel like this is a movie constructed in the way that Hitchcock would construct a movie. Yeah. I agree. Totally. Every shot is intentional. Mm-hmm. Um I, the third time around, I was especially struck with the close-ups in this movie, which mm-hmm. is crazy because, like, the iconic shot is Betty Gabriel, no, 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 like, uh-huh. with the tears streaming down her face, which and is... And Daniel Kaluuya in the chair. Exactly, and that, too. Um, but the, I mean, and Catherine Keener in, the, in, in her chair, like, this movie uses close-ups really effectively to ratchet up the psychological tension and mm-hmm. to burrow into these characters' heads. I think it's incredibly impressive. Um Thank you. Uh, and I think we will dig into it at some point here, but Jordan Peele is working in a mode of surrealism here um, that certainly can remind us of Boonwell on a number of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Boonwell. There's something I think really smart about the way that Peele uses surrealism to get at the heart of a social issue here, and it's similar mm-hmm. to the way that Boonwell investigates um, the class bourgeois. and politics. Yeah, yeah, the bourgeois class, essentially. Both um, in... Uh, uh, France and um, is exterminating angels. Does that take place in Mexico? Because I think that was no, while that was his return to Spain. Oh, Spain, right? I thought it was. I thought that he went back to Mexico for that. No, okay, that's one of the things I love about Boonwell. Like his filmography, he's constantly hopping he's between everywhere. countries. Yeah, because he started. He's in here. Spain, he's there. And he he's had everywhere. A Mexico period, and then he returned ubiquitous Boonwell. Yeah, and then he was in France. But then it's like a lot of like I'm pretty sure the discreet charm. A lot of it is in Spanish, and they dubbed it. 
Mm. I've been like, that's, I won- that's the official language is French. Yeah. Which yeah. is very interesting. And Hanukkah does that. I love comparing Pumala yes. and Hanukkah. Hanukkah will often just cast who he wants and dub them in the correct <laughs> language of the film later. Um, I just did, let, let me say, just uh, to finish my points, in that I appreciate the way that Peel uses surrealism, similar to Bunuel, to, and I swear to God, no pun intended, but peel back the masks nice. of an upper-class like white bourgeois society. Um, and there's a great line in Exterminating Angel that I also wrote down before we come in here, which is that it's, it sort of describes like why surrealism is a perfect avenue to explore microaggressions and the unsaid, which is that it seems unreal or perhaps it's too normal. And that's the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's banal on one level, but there is a, whether it's sinister or just subtextual, like, underlining of the whole thing. And, it, and that underlining becomes exposed through surrealism. Because mm-hmm. such a big part of surrealism is recontextualization, right? Yeah. So, like, a teacup becomes menacing in Get Out. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, the, the, most, in, the, sure most, inno- the most innocuous the, household the little, object. Yeah. The little uh, scraping of the spoon mm-hmm. sound. And it reminded me when tink, I was watching Belle du Jour when the jingling of the bells makes her, oh. like, all sexy turned on and, like, similar, like, the teacup. And it's like the makes teacup him, like, notorious. Alfred Hitchcock's oh, greatest gee. film, Notorious. I, I didn't know uh, we had the same Hitchcock, uh, same favorite Hitchcock. Film. I mean, it's 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 a revolving door of like four movies. But yeah, yeah, wasn't it Rebecca for like four weeks? No, I would never oh, okay. say Rebecca is my f- most favorite. Oh, okay. Right now, I have Rebecca as my second favorite Hitchcock, and that, that's probably not right. But it's it's, de- it's definitely the top just six. Notorious, Vertigo, or Marnie are usually the ones I go with. Marnie's so great. The mm-hmm. rotating. Marnie. Three. Now, yeah. there is a movie that knows how to see red. Oh, and Shadow of a Doubt. I will throw doesn't. Shadow of a Doubt a bone every once in a while because it was shot in my hometown. Throw Uncle Charlie a bone. <laughs> um, so, get out. Are we going to try to talk in yeah, order? Yes, we're going to try and talk in order. So, let's try to start at the tap. Can I. Uh, <laughs> so, does that. That doesn't kick in right away. It, no. It, it opens on. Um, Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield. Walking down this suburban, suburban in an street. unbroken shot, Jordan Peele announcing from the get go how well he u- knows how to use a camera to ratchet up tension. Is that whole car scene one, one shot, shot one until shot. he's thrown into the trunk? And he is wow. swirling around Lakeith. He's mm-hmm. he's tracking forward, tracking back. And the way I mean, so much of cinema. The way that scene builds tension. Cinema is a not, is a lot of things. Like you can make so many like hyperbolically absolute statements, but cinema is about what's in the frame and what's not in the frame. And the way that Peel blocks that car in the background, mm-hmm. weaving in and out of the shot, and how the camera swirls around Stanfield so that we'd the reveal when once he's once he leaves the car behind, mm-hmm. and then we see that the front door is open to the car, and the camera just keeps moving and like almost like a um, like in a very cruel way because at this point we know that there's going to be an inevitable hammer that's going to fall, like something is going to happen right. to this guy, yeah. and then it pushes around just enough, and then we have you know the assaulter into the frame. And then it turns into this really disturbing shot of just Stanfield's body without his head yes. being dragged down the asphalt. Oh, yeah. That which shot. is what they're kidnapping him for, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think I got way too ahead of myself. Do we want to say exactly what happens? No. Well, I don't well, think we I, need to like, summarize this. No, but... Linearity think, is a new language um, for movies even, I am, um, Even in the first scene, Peel is making a statement just about how black people feel walking alone at night yes. and like... 
if if a car if it could have been a cop car like pulling him over for no reason yeah. you know well and then once just he, that anxiety once, of just walking down the street yes and the unbroken shot builds that anxiety as well I think like yeah. it, it is an inescapable scenario yeah um real quick let's just get this off the bat we are three white cis idiots talking about a movie right, yeah. that is predominantly dealing with racism in which. East Coast liberals, uh, which I think we've all been at some point, are sort of the villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but just getting that out front, uh, that I think that anything we say, we're not trying to speak absolutely as if like we are the authorities on this. Yeah, but we are not the group of gays to be talking about this. But we are going to talk about but it. We're gonna, but we're going <laughs> to talk about it for probably an hour and a but half. But we're going to do our best. Because um, we fucking love Get Out. Yeah, what I think is really cool about the white. opening is that uh, it really shows... like creative problem solving when you don't have any money because they probably like that's a scene that like your ad is going to be like you don't really need this you can deprioritize this it's okay if we just pick up lakeith stanfield at the party and so the only way to get it is to do it in one shot yeah and he makes it work a lesser filmmaker would not be able to make it work yeah it is a, I said this in my letterbox review but I once I put the words together I'm like oh that's exactly what it is and it's that Peel has a galvanizing sense of control as a filmmaker mm-hmm. like you will follow him anywhere you'll follow him into traffic he knows exactly where his camera needs to be at all times and mm-hmm. how long it needs to be there and where it should go mm-hmm. um, and from the get go he announces this yeah it's just a big classic studio movie that actually is artistic it's like yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, the, u- the, the universal logo film... doesn't seem totally off at right. the beginning, right? It's a monster movie. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I like over the uh, that shot. Is it the shot when he's being pulled in the car, thrown in the trunk? It says a Jordan Peele. That's what film. I was going to yes. say to Ben's point a about this, Jordan like being Peele the, film, the announcing of a of a new voice, a new filmmaker. When you see a Jordan Peele film. It's as if you've already seen a brilliant short film. Like, you are totally on board yeah. from the get-go. Like, this is an auteurist piece of work. Yeah. And I love the way that music comes run, in. Run, rabbit, run, and, rabbit. Oh, that's right. Because then you later hear it in the car when he gets into escape, and yeah. you realize, oh, it was the dumb brother. Yeah. yeah. Well, Stephen Root, that, that Stephen Root also helmet. says... Um, Stephen Root also says that he hears that Jeremy's methods of kidnapping are a lot worse than being uh, kidnapped sur- surreptitiously yeah. uh, by Rose. And that's like the first clue, but yeah, the, it's the it's the music cue that, that officially confirms it, and mm-hmm. seeing the mask in the in the passenger seat. But it's yeah. the music first, and we've talked about it on the show. We love a music cue that yeah. signals something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then does the, the the then does it do we get the score of the? the then we get. Brum, brum. Oh yeah 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 yeah. And, and, yeah yeah yeah. Okay. And then it goes into. <laughs> And then we're in the credits. And then it goes into Redbone, right? The Childish Gambino song. After after we see some... In the uh, apartment. After we see the woods rush by yes. with some of the credits. With the title. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get Out is with the Hasha Isha thing. Yeah. And then we get Redbone song. Yeah. And then and we're, we're introduced... in New York City. Yes. Yeah. We are seeing photographs that Chris has shot. He is a successful photographer. Yeah. It's got a great eye, very melancholic images. And I, I, the second time I saw it, I really picked up on the way Allison Williams' character is introduced. And she's immediately like, you're so dumb and white. She, like, she's like looking at donuts. She's looking at our chiseled donuts. She's, <laughs> like, she's, also, she's also picking out the sweet thing, like the next sweet thing, which mm-hmm. we see later she is doing when she's Googling NCAA right, right. top recruits, right? Yeah. Um, which I didn't pick, like, behind, like behind glass, too. Like, mm-hmm. it, it speaks to her privilege, it speaks to her basicness. Like, yeah. And I didn't pick up on that until today, yeah. watching it the third time. Yeah, so I like the way she's introduced. But you wouldn't think, like, the first time, that's what's, I don't know, you get two different experiences. Like, the first time you see it, you know she might be a villain, but you don't know how quite she's a villain. Yeah. 
you might I don't even think I knew going into it the first time that she was going to become a villain. I, I thought was... that she for like I didn't have it figured out. I was like, obviously Keener is gonna turn, Whitford's gonna turn, yeah. and Caleb Landry Jones is just yeah, like giving it giving it away <laughs> like, from oh the get go. But he, he's showing his hand. Yeah, when she does the keys, I do remember being like, Oh <gasps> fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean is I this our third Caleb Landry Jones film episode? That we've discussed. Yes. Yes. It is. I think it is the third. Um, that's correct. <laughs> it's funny. He was everywhere this year, but he doesn't was. really. Get I just him saw him in Twin a, Peaks: The Return. I just oh, saw him in a great movie at Sundance called Terrell, which I'll actually oh, talk about I'm later on the podcast because it, it's the new Sebastian Silva film. Stars, yes, you know my favorite actor, Jason Mitchell. It actually does oh. have some correlation with this film that we can talk about. I'll just say later. Oh, I can't wait to um, see it. But so we also uh, are, we are introduced to Chris, who is shaving, and don't you just love that moment where he cuts himself and it's like points his finger at his chin where he cut himself. Like, we cut, I think, before he, like... Do you know that shot I'm talking about? It's like the like line... when he's in the mirror and it's all steamy? Yeah. And he just, like, points up to his chin while he's shaving. Hmm. It's it's just yeah. a it's just a nice shot. I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, any shot with Daniel Kaluuya is sexy. a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then they get right into it. Like, does your family know I'm black? Like, he asks it. Hmm? Like, that's one of the first lines of dialogue great screenwriting just announces it in the first 10 pages <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah i just love that whole conversation it's they the have. first conversation they yeah. have that's all i have to say <laughs> no i feel like it's the only uh post marnie role that allison williams will ever be able to be successful at i mean yikes but i mean i don't disagree this role but is I, tailor-made for her i don't I think that allison williams gets enough credit for marnie that's fair. I mean, Marnie... No, I agree. I love her as Marnie. The same way that Marnie is infuriating and Rose is terrifying, mm-hmm. like, I do think that whether or not those are qualities that Allison Williams has as a person, she is able to manipulate them as a performer in ways that make you feel something. Yeah. People hated Marnie more than they hated Hannah, I feel like, on Girls. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do when yeah. you have a... I mean, they're both narcissists, but Hannah is but yeah, so Marnie, Marnie was ha- hated Marnie in, a very, mad. in a very specific way. Yeah. People were just, like, fed up with... Hannah, but Marnie, they were like, I, do I not can't, like her. I cannot watch her. Yeah, and I always thought she was. But really I think amazing. toward the end, people turned a new leaf on Marnie. By toward like the last two seasons, but, people but the reason why is because her. Marnie Panic in Central Park, my favorite episode. Marnie started yeah. checking herself a little bit. But anyway, mm-hmm. this is not the girls' I podcast. Know. Yeah, but but we do have to talk about Allison Williams. Well, she embodies a certain level of whiteness, which um, is perfect. Like white for this privilege. Role. Yes, and exactly. A certain obliviousness. Yes. yes. Which I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but in the scene when the cop pulls them over, like when she's like, when she's like, bullshit to mm-hmm. the cop. That's another great example of the way she's displaying her privilege. She thinks mm-hmm. she's like really stepping up. Well, there. it's such yeah. a brilliantly staged moment, I think, because it, the cop has just asked Chris for his license. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking about uh, the way that police treat different people mm-hmm. and the way that she is able to just like be like, how dare you? Like, he wasn't driving. That's my boyfriend. Fuck you. Just because yeah. she's a white woman. Exactly. You think about, like, there's a reason why Chris is not saying those things, and that if he was saying them, it would be a completely different dynamic. But she exactly. actually shuts him down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's complicated even further, because then Chris is like, that was hot. Yeah. Like, it's just, I just love that, like, Peel isn't really doing any, he's not making a PSA at any points. Right. Um, it always feels rooted firmly in the characters and their experiences. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, they have a conversation oh. on the bed. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, can we just talk about really? I'm jumping around already, but um, the deer when they yeah, hit, so they hit the deer, the killing of a sacred deer. That's more. We're that's still going in order. We're in order, um, because there's you watched it more recently than I did, Daniel. But um, there's that moment where 
is it when he's being put under the trance and he like sees the deer that they hit again on the side of the road? He, 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 no, it's uh, he. It's but it's the night that he goes out to smoke a cigarette and runs into Seinfeld oh, 2000 Running Man, and he has like a vision. He's sort of like yeah, he's like I I don't know if he's falling in and out of sleep, but yeah, we're cutting between him seeing the like approaching the deer at night now. Yeah. Um, right. Which, you know, the deer is obviously a symbol for his mother, right? Mm-hmm. Right, got it. The, the yeah. hit and run death. Yes. He didn't wa- do anything in air quotes. Yeah. And then that also leads into when he helps the Betty grandma, Gabriel, Betty yeah. Gabriel, on the side of the road. Okay, I just wanted, I wanted to clarify the deer yeah. motif. Um, sure. So are we just going to uh, push forward then? Yeah. Is there yeah. Any, so anything go... else in the bedroom? Anything, anything else in the beginning? Does the friend call yet? He calls yeah, in the Rod, car. Yeah, Rod calls before the deer. He calls in the car. Yeah, he calls mm-hmm. in the car. Yeah, so we're introduced to that actor. What's... Lil Rel Howery. There it is. Thank you. Um, And he's great. Yeah, I think he's hilarious. I think he's fantastic. Ben yeah. thinks he is a problem in the film. Do you think and we will, do... get, we will get there. Yeah, we will now, get I, yeah, I don't think now is the time. I know, I'm just... I Since you said... You think he's great. I'm just going to add. I have an opinion on it that. Took a, I, it took a second viewing. The first time I saw it, I thought, the comic relief from this character isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. But I saw it a second time, and I will explain in a minute later in the episode yeah. why it works. And okay. I'll mention some moments that I like as we get to them. But on this phone call specifically, I love that Lil Harry is never given too much to do until mm-hmm. like the end of the second act, third act. Most of the time, he's just on the phone. He's like sitting down. He's standing up. But the first time we meet him, he's like on the curb at the airport in his mm-hmm. TSA uniform, smoking a cig. But there's just something about his body language. Like he's just like, I I don't know how to describe it. I can only like do it physically, which is doesn't work for a podcast. But there's just something very funny about that guy. Like mm-hmm. is always like his he's always uh, not unlike Nicole Kidman, honestly. Like is aware of how his body looks in the frame. And considering he's not given so much to do, and he still makes an impact to me anyway in the beginning. Like the wide shot of him on the curb is just hilarious to me. Like smoking a cigarette on the phone. Like there's just something very easy about it that I find charming. If yeah. anyone uh, has not watched the Carmichael Show, which is no longer on. NBC, I think it's on Netflix now. Uh, nice. He plays Carmichael's brother, still oh, living with his ex-wife Tiffany Haddish. Yes. Oh, shut up! I haven't I seen the show. I, I didn't know say, that was a relationship. But I knew they were both. I was on just it. gonna say they should do something together. That's my and favorite look, show. They did. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I am just gonna say why I like this character the second time I saw Great. it. He acts as the audience point of view. He begins viewing. Chris's situation toward the second and third act as a horror movie. The, the, He's, yeah, he says yeah. the whole time, don't go in there. Don't go in there. Don't mm-hmm. go in there. And it works brilliantly because the third act turns into a full-blown horror yeah. slasher fest. I laugh every time. The first time he gets on the phone with him at the house and he's like, I think this white girl's mom put me under hypnosis last night. And then we cut to him. He's just like, get out! Like, yeah, get out of there! Get out of there. Like, why aren't you... Yeah. Out the door right now. And yeah. he's he's the voice of reason. I think I think he really works in that way. Yeah, I just would prefer... I think it it would ratchet up the tension even more if we don't get that moment. How, so how does he... To stay within the house. We should just get to this when we get to it. So All right, let's... Here. All right, well... Oh, okay. I, mean, I think we're just here. <laughs> we're, we've arrived. We're trying so hard to be good today. That's fine. So how, would, how do you end the film? I mean, obviously, if you remove well, the character... Well, there is an alternate ending. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk about the alternate ending. I actually at don't the know end. what it is. What is it? I know what it, we'll talk about. Doesn't it at he the end. get arrested? It's not. It's, <laughs> Rod is not picking him up. It's not an airport car. It's a cop car. We'll talk about it at the end. That's a really dark ending. Yes, yeah. um, and I and I have traditionally been against that ending because I think that the the 
note of hope it adds makes it a little more complicated because yeah i think that would would be too it, bleak. it makes it more of like a stronger together moment uh-huh. it makes it about how like and this is this is true of any, anyone who is a minority in america or in the world like in order to beat back oppression you have to depend on your friends to help save you and you to save them like it's about a sense of community and that's going to lift us up from these people who hate us right yeah and i think the, the ending of the movie speaks to that but I also think it makes it more complicated because we, on the, the close-up we get of Chris's face in the TSA car on the way out, he's not even really relieved to be out of there. He's shaken to his core. Yeah, I right. love that last shot. I didn't he's realize forever that changed. was the last shot of the movie, mm-hmm. and yeah. I really like that. And, and Which it, is also very Hitchcock to have a fake happy ending. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he will. He how will he ever trust anyone again yeah i mean he was it's it's a it's a dark ending even without him getting like taken away in a cop car exactly still it still works well i understand that was pure studio it was pure studio but i think peel said that eventually he came around to the idea i just think that it makes it a little more complicated mm -hmm. i mean it would just be completely bleak and without hope but i think that there's something about it that would have been a crushing statement i understand what peel would have been going for right but here's the thing i I think it's still pretty crushing oh totally totally. what happens to the brother's car it runs into a he runs it into a tree when yeah, right. when Georgina attacks him. That's right. Side of the road. Um, okay, so anyway, back to they arrive at the house. Yes, let's start there. Yes, so they arrive at the house, and I love that shot of the house. It's a wide shot, and you just see them. Well, here's and what they're, I, ever, they're all greeting in that wide yeah, shot. Here, so I it's, like that. I do too, and we should talk more about the wide shot because I'm obsessed with the shot. But I like that we first see the car, or I'm, I'm sorry, we first see the house through the windshield of the car. Mm-hmm. And there's something about arriving in an enclosed space and then getting to this enclosed space that reinforces this idea of being trapped. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he is already, like, not in the open air when he's approached. Like, the first time we see the house, it's within a, a prison of a sort, like the car, and then he's moving into, like, an actual space he can't escape from. Which, of course, is very Boonwellian in a way, the idea of not being able to get out of a location Right. Because of a social theme. I mean, the opening, I mean, not the opening, but the, the wide shot of the house is like the wide shot of the house and the, the exterminating angel. Oh, yeah. These people are walking in and they will never leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that shot now then. It's an extreme wide. Mm-hmm. I think that any other movie, we're in close-ups when our protagonist oh, is yeah. meeting the we're villains. We're seeing Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford up close. We get an insert shot of hands shaking. Oh, totally. Like, totally blunted. Like, black hand, white hand. Like, right. what's going to happen here? Like, that is what a lazier filmmaker would do. That it is all told in an extreme wide where they are where they are little tiny people. We can barely hear what they're saying to one another. And we, and we see in a, in a, in a larger uh, in a, in a larger frame, uh, like, larger scale um, uh, of them doing the nice to meet yous and hugs. But because we're not right there with them, it seems alien. It seems a little sinister. Yeah. But because they're all so small, and specifically Chris is so small in the frame... He is immediately out of his element, immediately overwhelmed in this world. Mm-hmm. And we are also not meant to necessarily... I mean, it both does that and doesn't make the Armitages... I don't know, it's a more complicated way of making them villains. And then that mm-hmm. it, and then it's not just an establishing shot. It pulls back and then we see the, um, the, the, grand, the grandpa yeah, figure. Right. So it's actually a point of view shot. Oh, right, yeah. And when you consider who that character actually is, it's all the more menacing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a brilliant shot. And then we go into Catherine Keener sitting with Bradley Whitford just... That, that, 
yeah, how long has this been going on? It's just, like, immediately aggressive and weird, but you think it might just be, like, weird dad, but no, it's, like, weird white privilege. Yes. Um, it, 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 it's that, but you can see in Clue's performance, like, he is trying to be cool in that moment. Like, he is yeah. trying to look past it and be, like, and think that, like, Allison Williams warns, warns him earlier, like, He's a lame dad. Like, he's going to say that he would have voted for Obama for a third time. Like, I swear to God, just go with it. He's not a racist. He's just a fucking dad. He's yeah. clueless, right? Um, so you can see on Kalia's face, like, he's trying <laughs> to read it that way. But yeah. he's also, like, you know, he's he says, can see right through it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and this is really the only time that Catherine Keener is chill in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Like, she's actually pretty... She's like, oh, stop it. Yeah. I mean, she feels like a crunchy granola Catherine Keener character in this I love moment. Catherine Keener so the, much. The way that her <laughs> voice... say that? The way that her voice just breaks, like... <laughs> like, mm-hmm. she always sounds tired. Like, <laughs> I love it. Uh, um, Catherine Keener. But I... Where um, is she? What's she up to? <laughs> she's an Academy Award-nominated film. Get out! I know, but now what is she doing? Uh, I want to see her again. Oh yeah, I always want to see her. Um, and I said this, I think, on another episode, but I think that Bradley Whitford is such brilliant casting here when you consider how Josh Lyman mm-hmm. is the '90s and aughts embodiment of like liberal purity and young liberal optimism, and just always doing the right thing. Yes. And to subvert that into this character is just a brilliant piece of casting, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So I mean, he and Keener both represent. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like a crunchy granola. Mm-hmm. Um, on paper, these would be like chill people to have as your in-laws. Right. But. 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 So um, so then we have Bradley Whitford who's walking Charlie around. Yeah, he takes him on this tour and he's like, "Isn't Don't it so interesting?" The tour before you settle in. Yes. Just such a weird thing. So there's a we co- don't go in the basement. Because of black mold. Black mold. Which, okay, this is... Isn't it so interesting? What does he say? Enjoying other people's cultures or, like, absorbing... He says a weird word. He says a lot of things. And and so first he's like, he shows these two candlesticks, like, pick these up in Bali. Like, from the Mm get-go, we understand that this is a guy who... You know, steals other people's cultures Can I say, and claims them as him as their own, which is yeah. so much of what the movie is about. It reminded me. It's more than appropriation. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me of that Atlanta episode where. Do you got either of you watch Atlanta? I saw the first I've, few episodes. It's I've great. Seen it. I mean, you there, should know if I like a show, I've only seen the first few episodes. I, it's hard for me to finish. There's anything. an episode where I'm not going to remember any characters' names. Donald Glover and the girlfriend go to this like party and there's like this white liberal dude who's doing exactly what Bradley Whitford is doing and get out. It's very, it's a very, it reminds me a lot of that. So that's established, but you also get moments like after you meet Georgina and the other guy, when he's like, I know what you're thinking. He's like, I know like we've got like black help. Like, mm-hmm. I know what you're thinking. He's like, it's cool. It's cool. He's like, but we had them take care of our parents before they died. And after they died, we could just couldn't bear to let them go. And he's actually talking about his parents in that line. Like, yeah. Jordan Peele does in the script yeah, here. Just the does, layering there is... This is what I meant earlier about, like, the way he lays the track. Like, watching the first act when you know all the twists, they're actually not twists. Bradley Whitford's character is literally Same. saying out loud, like, we couldn't let the parents go, and that's why those two people are still here. They are he says, inside the ba- of them. We don't go to the basement because it's black mold. Like... Um, and, and then he talks about uh, his grandpa losing the preliminary Olympics run to Jesse Owens. Yeah. It's about physical prowess. Like, and we know from, like, all of this is established and it, and you don't know that it's happening. Right. It's yeah. all subliminal. 
Yeah. It's just genius uh, planting mm. and payoff. Like, it, the foregrounding. It's Future just Future best perfect screenplay framework. winner. Yeah, I mean, the structure here is really interesting, and we the way that help. it veers off in different circles is interesting, but, like... Yeah. The writing, like this, the the dialogue itself, also um, just does such a beautiful job of building where we're going to go without us knowing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a suspense thriller, baby. Um, then what happens after the tour? Do, is that when they sit down to some lemonade well, or yeah, whatever? Some, Arnold's some, Palm. What are they drinking? Some tea. Go upstairs first. Some, some tea. tea. They uh, go upstairs. Yeah, they put because then he they have to settle in and put their bags down. Oh, and, and before then, this, Bradley Whitford says, "I would have voted for Obama a third time, best president in my lifetime." And and then Chris Charlie sits, says, "I agree." Chris or, sits down Chris on the bed upstairs, and doesn't he say, "I told you so"? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, "What? <laughs> no." <laughs> or what does she say? I have no. I don't no, that's basically <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, and then they go back downstairs and enjoy some tea. So mm-hmm. I did that, yeah, Maybe something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then and then we and, meet Betty Gabriel's and character. Smoke, yeah. Oh well, yeah. Y- you Jones and Chris, yeah. Is oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a smoker. Uh, there's the great in the car when he like reaches out for a cig and Alice Williams is like, nope, sorry, and then breaks it in half and throws it out the window and he's like, so he basically just threw away a dollar. And mm-hmm. She's like, well, that was a dollar you decided to spend on nicotine and tobacco. Oh my god. Alice and this Williams. is another example of you don't really know that this is going to pay off later. Yep. Yeah, exactly. for bringing that up, too. Thank you, Jordan yeah. Peele. <laughs> like, just brilliant planting and payoff. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, sure, he's a smoker. He's jonesing, uh, and it makes the parents mad. Yeah. That's what this moment is. Mm-hmm. But it's much more. And, and you know that those characters are looking for an in mm-hmm. with Chris so that they can go ahead and get him under the hypnosis. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean honestly, gonna... Rose probably already told them, like, he's a smoker. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably that's what it was. But from the but it's they're they're pretending to be trying to help him when actually right. they're just trying to lull him into right. their control. Mm-hmm. Um, Betty Gabriel walks up, pours too much tea, and Catherine Keener tells her to go sit down, <laughs> take a rest, go lie down. And so why does she? Why is she so distraught? Because she sees Chris and knows what's going to happen to him, or why would? But yes. Um, it, this is the first moment that you see one of the black characters whose bodies have been taken over fight back against the yeah, force. Right, right, got it. So yes, that's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, and just, she's she's peeking out from the sunken place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and there's just something about this repeated visual of, and this isn't the first. I don't think she does have a tear stream down her face, but that that is the soul fighting back against the oppression like this, and in the um the uh, ownership that the white characters in the film have taken over their bodies. Like, yeah. that the visual expression of it is tears streaming out of eyes, out of right. unblinking eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a striking image. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then and then we go into, is it the, is it nighttime? So then uh, Caleb, like, Caleb, Caleb Landry, Landry Jones shows up. Oh, God. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, he shows up while they're having Tay. Oh, right. and we learn that the that... wrestling thing, too, is another plant. Yes. But before we get to that, th- we also learn in this scene that the the grandpa's annual um, garden bash yeah. is oh, happening that right. weekend. Um, and all the whites are flowing in. Yeah. And I'm excited. Well, like, oh, mom. She's like, that's ha- again now? Just like, this it's, it's on, weekend? It's on the same day every year. <laughs> what? I mean, can you just imagine, like, let, let, let's pretend that, like, this isn't a horror movie, <laughs> that, like, everything works out fine. It's hard, It would be hard enough to be Chris in that moment, yeah. knowing that, like, oh, great, so it's, I'm not only I'm meeting the in-laws, 
Not only am I meeting the brother that's coming in, I'm going to have to meet 50 strangers that I don't know. The whole community of Westchester County. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like, imagine just the pure guess who's coming to dinner version of this movie. It's still, like, as uncomfortable. Exactly. It's agonizing. And and, and those are still microaggressions. Like, Mm -hmm. in front, I mean, again, take it out of this, the context of what the whole movie is about. Like, take it out of its genre. Like, it could be a white character, and these are still, like, transgressions (laughs) made against Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Which is, and then the fact that he is black complicates it even further. Again, divorced of genre. And that's what makes, again, Peel does such an amazing job of building these scenarios. As an audience member, we hook into what he's feeling anyway. Um, and and even if he wasn't about to be auctioned off with bingo cards, like, your skin is crawling just mm-hmm. because of the social awkwardness that's going to yeah. come. Yeah. That enough. And once is again, he, he is boring. hiding the horror in plain sight. Mm-hmm. It's just really brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, so then we go to dinner. Yeah, and Caleb Landry Jones, is that his name? Mm-hmm. He wants to wrestle. He's wasted and wants to wrestle. Well, yeah. f- first first Bradley Whitford asks Chris, what's your sport? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then, yeah, and then eventually Caleb Landry Jones is like, you into MMA? And that's the first <laughs> time a microaggression becomes actual Actually, aggression. Actually, literal f- physical aggression. Yeah, and it's it's just played off like, oh, he's drunk, he's drunk. Yeah. Um, I'm but, so sorry about him. But I, I love Daniel Kaluuya, the way that he says, like, oh, you mean, like, UFC? And then you can see Kaylin Jones be like, yeah. And he's like, nah, man, that's too brutal for me. Mm-hmm. It's just such a great put down. Yeah. Because that's another thing that Kaluuya is doing. Like, he's, I mean, they are fighting mm-hmm. psychologically from the get-go. He ha- He's in the position where he has to both seem respectful because of the p- position he's in socially yeah. while also standing up for himself. Right. And in moments like that when he shuts down Caleb Land- Landry Jones and, and, you know, calls him a brutalist and a bit of a, well, just a brute to his face. Right. It's just, Kalea is always doing a couple things. Mm. He's always doing a couple yeah, things. That, yeah. yeah, he's really firing on all c- cylinders in this performance, like mm-hmm. doing so many things. Yes. Yeah. With his face and his eyes and his voice and his inflections. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Uh, I want him to win. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would be great. That'd be great. Uh, that'd be amazing. Um, okay, so then it's nighttime. And then we get the... Are we at the hypnosis scene yet? We are. We are. Let's but... just... Let's, just well, well, for, let's yeah. do the get out challenge. So the, the grandpa runs at him, turns he really quick. To smoke. Yes. And then we see Betty Gabriel in the window. Bong. Oh wait! And, and well, she's hold on, hold on, guys. Her hair. Yes, but before that, when he's exiting the house, we get Betty Gabriel walking across the hall in the background, and we hear "bung." Like it's a great like sour chord. Mm-hmm. Great score. Great use of the music. Oh yeah, that's like the it's one. It's the first jump scare. It's the, in the first movie. jump scare. Yeah. Maybe the only. It's brilliantly deployed. And I remember my There's audience. There's not many jump scares in. This I remember movie. my audience sort of like <gasps> and hahaing at the same time. Yeah. Like and and it's. It's not cheap because Peel trusts his audience to be smart enough to anticipate these sorts of things, right. and so in a way, he's just sort of elbowing you in the in the shoulder, yeah, like elbowing your shoulder. I think right? it's the only like funny jump scare in the entire movie, right. and it's perfect. It's yeah. perfectly placed. Um, so then we get Grandpa doing the run thing, and then he goes back inside, and there's Catherine Keener. Yeah, and by, and by and the way, she's like, why is Grandpa running? Because he used to be an Olympic finalist. Mm-hmm. Why does Why does he have this whole idea in the first place? Because a black man beat him for a spot at the Olympics. Right. And this is just another example, like Jordan Peele is showing you everything here. Like this is wh- this is what's happening. It's just fucking brilliant. It gets me so excited. It's such great genre work and such great hiding within plain sight. Yeah. Um, 
So Catherine Keener. Yeah, so so he doesn't he, he doesn't smoke the cig. He's a little spooked by the Midnight Runner. Yeah, goes inside and there she is. And I love that line she says that she says where she's like, "You smoke in front of my daughter." Do you smoke in front of my daughter. That's my daughter. That's my kid. That's my kid. That's my kid. I'm trying to quit. That's my kid. I love the chill use of the word kid. Yes. I love when parents call their child a kid. <laughs> I just love that as a concept. And I love that that's what the script is. It's a very specific type of person says that. Yeah. That's my kid. So, the hypnosis. Yes. She has the cup of tea. And she is and scraping she's just, from the from She's the very just beginning. scraping, scraping, digging, trying to get that traumatic memory out of Chris. And that's when we learn about how he didn't move. Yeah. When I, his mom got hit. And I think, it still eats him up inside. I think that, in a way, this metaphor doesn't totally work if you consider ethically what's going on. But you can think about this scene as what Peel is doing in the movie. And Peel is sitting in the Keener seat, and we, the audience, are sitting in uh, Chris's seat. Yes. And it's that we don't know until it's too late that we're trapped. Mm-hmm. Like, he just is sort of lulling us along again, everything we've been talking about. about he's just, like, putting, like, all the traps in plain sight. And it's not until we've stepped on one that we realize it's too late. And the way that she is just bringing in this false sense of security and then just, like, digging deeper about this formative trauma in his life. And then mm-hmm. before he knows it, he's under her spell. Yeah. yeah. And she goes, tink! And that's it. Boom! I, I love mean, that. Sink. That's one of the most exciting moments of the year is when she says, sink. It's a... Now sink into the floor. It's an image that is going to be incorporated in the Criterion cover when it comes out on Criterion. Uh, of but falling, is... falling down into the sunken place. Yeah, this yeah, exactly. This is the exactly. moment for me that the it's... first time you see it, you're like, this is a very special movie. Yep. Because yeah. the first time you don't know everything else that we talked about right. is really happening. Yep. Yeah, he's just at, at sort of an awkward family encounter, mm-hmm. and we know that it's genre it's work. Super awkward. Because the trailer. Yeah. yeah. But it, it could be, you know... Curb your enthusiasm mm-hmm. about race. A comedy of manners. Yeah. Exactly. It's mm-hmm. more of a guess who's coming to dinner type thing, yeah. right? Yeah. But that, yeah, that moment's going to suddenly be. Suddenly, he's in the sunken place. And it gets, mm-hmm. it officially switches over to surrealism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would argue that, I mean. The running's a little surreal. That's not like unrealistic. Yeah, but again, like so much about uh, surrealism is recontextualization, and it's this idea of that photos on the wall become sinister. Like, um, it, it's this uh, foreboding feeling of being trapped in an innocuous space, just it's like the a first time house. becomes the text. Yes, the I agree. Yeah, but and, and also, like I said earlier, like I think that the best piece of surrealism in the whole movie is that a teacup becomes mm-hmm. the scariest image in the whole thing, right? Yeah. And so, but to your point, Brandon, like yes, this is the scene where we do finally veer into more explicit surrealism. Yeah. But I would say it's not just the visual. Uh, expression of the sunken place it is the device that is bringing us there with the teacup as well yeah but yeah it is and this is also where jordan peele announces himself as a real visual stylist as well yeah you know it's a really big move whenever whenever you hear anybody on the internet try to dismiss this and there are people who will Mm -hmm. dismiss this movie as a feature-length key and peel sketch consider the sunken place Mm -hmm. consider the sunken place that visual made me think of being john malkovich Another Catherine Keener movie. <laughs> I think it makes gravity. me think of that because of Catherine Keener, and you just see her little face mm-hmm. at the far end of the of the like hole. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it just makes me think of. You should do a cinematic parallels for that. Yeah, but the, the, the way that that Peel 
imbues it with this sense of powerlessness. Yeah. As well, that because he's, he's screaming, he's just when you can't hear silent. him scream. Yeah, and he's kicking into like a literal ether. It's like gravity. Yeah, Sandra Bullock in Gravity. Yeah, Lost in Space because there are stars in the second place. There are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just it's both a very beautiful um, visual on, on its head when you don't consider right. what it means, mm-hmm. and then it becomes quite horrifying mm-hmm. in a similar way that in Under the Skin. When the characters dip into that black ooze yeah. and then are floating around, there's something very hypnotic and strange and beautiful about it. Uh-huh. And then it becomes the scariest thing in the world. And then with yeah. this, it also has the added layer of social commentary on it, right. which makes it um, scary in a very real way. Yeah. And then there's, of course, right after that, and the, the and, shot and, of... And then she says, now you're in the sunken place. Yeah. And there's that the, the iconic shot, the close-up. Wide eyes and yeah. just tears. One of the close ups of the year. And I mean, I do think that sometimes we give actors too much credit for being able to cry on cue. But consider what he's doing with the re- like the Richter on his face, mm-hmm. apart from that. Like getting his eyes so big. Like yeah. it, there's a level of performance beyond the two. His eyes are fucking bloodshot. Yeah. 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 Bright red. Which, like, you know, you know that for all we know, that's a, that's a contact lens or something. Right. But he makes you believe it. Mm-hmm. We said this on the last episode, I think, but like Kaluuya, you know, definitely a star is born quality, but he's on the second episode of Black Mirror and that episode is many people's favorites. And now this show is such a, plays such an important role in the zeitgeist that you have to point to Daniel Kaluuya at a certain point for getting people hooked in the first place. Yeah. But of course, this is his big feature film an announcement and arrival. Mm-hmm. But it's just so satisfying to see an actor who has never been anything less than stellar, mm-hmm. both take the lead in a film and just take command of it like he does in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So then he wakes up. He wakes up in bed. So he wakes up in bed and he says, "I had the craziest dream." And, and, and Allison and, and Williams says, "And this might says, be where he sees the deer. I can't remember." Okay. I forget what Allison Williams says. She just shrugs it off. She's like, "Oh, whatever." Yeah. Well, because he's like, "I think your mom hypnotized me last night." Oh, and then she's mad. She's like, "Oh, I can't believe she did that." Or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, um, but she totally knows what happened. There's a level of absurdism in this movie and in Boonwell's, apart from the surrealism, but just the fact that like you can say like, "I think your mom hypnotized me last night," and she's like. Again, like <laughs> right. something very silly about that. Yes, yeah. um, but it, and it makes it's more bread is real. Yes, exactly. It, because she, it's like improv. You yes and she is agreeing to the narrative, mm-hmm. and that makes right. it feel more real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So she's uh, justifying. Actually, you know what? Hold on, guys. Before this, he goes outside because she's in the shower. Mm-hmm. So he goes outside onto the grounds, and then that's where he meets... Talks to Grandpa. Walter, I think, is the character. Oh, name. and he has the weird conversation with him. Yeah, when Walter says, a real goddong or doggone keeper. Yeah, he speaks like an old Dong-gong. white dude. <laughs> yeah, a real goddong... I'm doing it again. Uh, but yes, yeah, I mean, he, he's uh, he's speaking like an old white dude. Yeah. Exactly. Um... And he's chopping wood. And this is one of my favorite shots in the movie when he's when Chris is walking back into the house and then in the background Walter is sort of out of focus and he's mm. occupying the right side of the frame and Chris is in the left in focus. And he's chop Walter's chopping wood in the background and he takes the axe and the way that it's framed, it looks like he has taken the axe to Chris's head mm-hmm. almost in a lobotomizing motion. And again, this is another clear example of Peel telling you exactly what is happening or like yeah. what the danger is. Yeah. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, let's just fast forward, I guess, to to the party, the guests arrive and they say all these things that you shouldn't say, but 
mm-hmm. seem in context like if it weren't for Chris's reaction, all those white people would be like, I can say that's fine. Right. 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 Well, then the fact These that they're hard to say. I mean, I, so you can read it a couple ways because they all know what they're doing there. Right. They're all there to look at him like a prize horse mm-hmm. and decide whether or not this is the specimen they want to yeah. embody. Yeah. Um, but before you know that, like the first time you see it, it's so upsetting on another level, which is like these people, I mean, actually this, it doesn't invalidate this, but these people are so comfortable in their power and privilege that they don't feel bad about saying these things. Right. Mm-hmm. And e- even if like, even if they know Maybe like- this is their God-given right. Exactly. Exactly. It reminds me of Rosemary's Baby when the people sneak into the apartment. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this movie has a lot in common with Rosemary's mm-hmm. Baby. The That's idea true. of powerlessness the, the and conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that everyone is out to get you. Everyone is lying to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love um, the visual conceit of these people because Peel and I wish I knew the costume designer's name off the top of my head, but they are exaggerating the whiteness of every character in a way that you believe like they look like regular people but they are sort of like extreme examples and in, in, in that like you get those pink uh cat ear glasses that the old lady is wearing right. and they just like the red just has such an like just a little bit of an extra pop to feed into this sense of surrealism and absurdism while also feeling very true to the situation and then you get like the wilford brimley motherfucker who sort of looks like winston churchill in darkest hour oh my god yeah with, with, i like, wanted to bring up that guy he's crazy looking <laughs> and he's the one who says one of the most offensive comments doesn't he black is in <laughs> or, or whatever yeah. it is he wants to be trendy he's like black in. when he's <laughs> black is it okay and it's uh, that was one of the and then in the i'll just say when i saw it in theaters every single time someone would like one of the white characters one of the one of the potential buyers mm-hmm. um says something to chris about like you know is it actually better like talking about sex or like oh, feeling God, his body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a mixture of both laughter and like revulsion mm-hmm. and repulsion in the audience. Mm-hmm. And it was just this crazy cocktail. And I got it. I mean, like I was probably laughing more than anything else. Um, and I was sitting next to um, this black woman, I think in her sixties probably. And she was like recoiling from the screen. I mean, she was enjoying the film, right. but you think about those different experiences and the diff- different reactions. And it makes me think a lot about the debate about this film for Golden Globes consideration between comedy musical mm-hmm. or drama. And I will say that watching this movie not in an audience, watching it by myself, I don't laugh unless Lil Rel Howery is on screen or like those moments of absurdism. Like that scene actually becomes very scary after hearing like th- this perspective that other people have brought yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once you know it's actually what's like, going on. Yeah, I mean, but but yeah. I still argue that this is a horror comedy, and I was never mad about it being placed in comedy because it yeah. is a horror comedy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that I. I would I would put it in drama, I think. Um, only because... Would you, Ben? Yes. Oh, boy. It, it has these... I mean, Lil Rel Howery I don't is, think it's it, a problem. No. I mean, Lil Rel Howery is comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's levels also, of absurdism a, in the movie. It's, yeah, it's absurdism. It's real. It's satire. It, it, I mean, yeah, it's a satire. You know what? That, that's the best argument. It is That's satire. the best argument you made so far. Yeah, it is a satire. And so Which is comedy. Right. So, but it is... But it's a... You know, we don't... Dark. We, when we're watching this movie... We're thinking about fear of invasion and fear of losing our agency in a very abstract way. Yeah. I think it's a comedy in the most, like, 
classical terms of satire, which doesn't mean that you're necessarily laughing, but it's just like there is a distance between the audience and the screen Mm -hmm. or the play, as it were, and you like are able to look at society in a way that you were not able to before. What I'm saying is, and again, I'm speaking as a white person, so I'm not going to speak for an African-American person, Mm -hmm. but I can imagine if this movie was about a gay character going home and then finding out that their boyfriend is actually trying to To trying to like steal their wit or something um i would not find the concept funny even if it was satire it would be hard to watch no it would still be great you know i would still love the movie but like i'd love it even more i'd feel more of a personal connection to it yeah but 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 that that idea of losing your agency erases the distance i would like to say it's not a funny concept i want to quote uh cameron austin collins on this topic who said uh this movie starts with Allison Williams knocking on the door with her big old forehead and you're telling me it's not a comedy? <laughs> oh my god! I forgot that that is the first way, the, one of the first introductions. She just that's bangs good, no. her head on the door. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, and again, like, I think that the levels of like exaggerated yes. absurdism... It is just exaggerated and absurd. Yeah, right. It's a comedy in the way that The Sopranos is a comedy. Yes, yes. Which is to say it's not a comedy, yeah. but it's so funny. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get too, like, trying to like speak up for a position that's not necessarily my experience right Be- because, not, yeah you know because um at a certain point you're actually cheapening the perspective mm-hmm. that you're trying to speak for right but yeah that's a great point i mean there, there's a lot of things that are funny and exaggerate exaggerated yeah. in the movie you know so then chris goes and meets steven root bill dotrieve from king of the hill <laughs> i know him as what milton with the stapler Oh yeah, Milton. He's in some Coen yes. Brothers movies, <laughs> and in in Milton seems to be the mm-hmm. uh, I don't actually remember the character's name, but I'm just gonna call him Milton. He seems to be like the only guy who gets it at the party, the only white guy who gets it at the party. Jim like, Hudson. Right. Jim Hudson. He's because he wants Chris's eyes. He right. wants his eye and his eyes. The reason why is because he owns a gallery and he's familiar with Chris's work. And he's he knows also that he is white mediocrity. Yes. Yeah. Well, no. He talks about how before he went blind of a genetic disease. He tried to be like a wildlife photographer, and he's like, after spending National Geographic 40 times, like, I just didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And another example, Peel's telling you exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's like, you got a great eye. And then later when we get the extreme close-up on the grainy TV, when it's like, I want your eyes, mm-hmm. man. It's like, oh shit, he I want, literally just said that. I want those things you see through. Ooh. And then, the return of... Lakeith. Lakeith! Yeah. My baby. Uh, <laughs> that video of him shirtless oh my god sunday so, so hello and this is the moment i will i'm gonna plug a sundance movie called sorry to bother you that i saw that mm-hmm. is directed by boots riley who's a musician this is his first film lakeith stanfield and tessa thompson are lead actresses in this film uh, it is a it is an anti-corporatist movie it's a pro-union movie it's a movie about race in the workplace it's a movie about class like it, it is a it is a woke fucking movie um, and it also uses surrealism even even more explicitly than this movie and absurdism more explicitly than this movie. But I think it's interesting that we now have this other, a movie a year later that also plays at Sundance, yeah. mm-hmm. employing similar but extremely more extreme uh, devices right. to tell its story. And Lakeith is the lead in that, and he's amazing, y'all. You guys are going to love gonna, him in this. I'm going I'm oh. to lose my mind. Yeah. So... He's dressed up in clothes that what is he's wearing like that? fucking seersucker straw like a, hat. Literally, looks like a, a goofball. Um, nice and to meet you. 
Or and I just says. love that shot of Chris going for the fist bump, and he just puts his cups his hand right <laughs> over it. Yeah, uh, there's just so many great things in Lakeith's performance. Chris was just telling me and... he felt so much more comfortable with my being here. <laughs> Lakeith Stanfield. I mean, since Short Term Twelve, like this is mm-hmm. one of yeah. the most exciting actors of his generation. Yeah. Yep. He. I mean, to me, I would compare. I would compare him to like an Adam Driver in a way. Um, and that they're capable of doing so many different things, but they bring sort of this singularity to it where the actor becomes auteur at a certain level. Yeah. Yeah. So we get the moment where he does the flash, and then Lakeith's soul escapes for that moment uh, from the sunken place, and he tells him, he he says, get out. What I love, in the trailer for this movie, they include footage of that as as an attack, like Mm -hmm. as a more horror element of the film. Yeah. You watch it knowing where it's going, Mm -hmm. and it's a soul-crushing appeal. Yeah, Yeah, it's a cry for help. Um, And the moment, in a way, becomes scarier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very sad. And it's then they play sad. it off. They play it off as, oh, he had a stroke, and he's like, "That's not what a stroke looks like." Yeah, an epileptic. Season. And then Chris calls the friend oh. and says, "I think I recognize this yeah. guy." Mm-hmm. We just blew past so much. Did um, we? Yeah, we just blew past the time. Okay. Um, and I'm just gonna slow us down Let's because because there is stuff to talk rewind. about here. There's stuff to talk about here, um, which is that. Lakeith goes down to rest. That's what they say. Again, like, you should rest. That's what they always say to the black characters whose yeah. bodies have been taken over. And then Catherine Keener works her scraping magic on him, and he comes back out, and he's like, I hate to deprive this party of my sparkling wit, uh, but I, G2G. Um, so then he leaves, and um, Bradley Whitford's character is like, well, uh, how about how about some bingo, everybody? Mm. Oh, shit. I mean, it's a... I brought us back for a reason. I'm okay, I there's a lot to talk oops. about here. I thought that happened I, after. Brandon, I saw it six hours ago. I was watching this movie. Oh right, you know? so you're it's very just, it's just fresh in my head. You're very fresh. Um, and Rose is like, let's get out of here. Like right. we're gonna go for a walk. And you think that she's saving him, but it's right. just all to plan. Oh, it's all to plan. And think about yeah. it from Chris's perspective. Like this is the moment in the movie when Rose is the best girlfriend, and when you mm. feel the love between them the most on your first viewing. Yeah, like that she has his back. And I remember like watching... this walk would happen even if Lakeith Stanfield hadn't yeah. had his soul yeah. come forward for a moment. Yeah. Right. I remember when I was watching this for the first time, that's when Ooh. I was like, oh, there's no way she can be bad. Right. Because this is such a convincing, tender moment mm-hmm. when she's like, let's get out of here. Like, but I love you. All and, according to plan. And this isn't... A, I wonder if this is going to be Daniel's Oscar scene. Um, I hope that it's not like I hope that they I hope that it's not the scene with Catherine Keener. I think it's gonna be I think the clip it's gonna be him going to the sunken place. I think that's gonna be his Oscar clip. I think that's probably what's gonna which be which is too. an but, obvious boring choice. But, I mean, he does. Yeah, but in a way, this is also an obvious boring choice, but in a different way. Like it would be very traditional because this is his monologue when he's talking about how he feels responsible for his mother's death when they're sitting by the lake. Yeah. And it is just a whole new layer to this performance that has been only told through just little subtle glimmers. This is the first time he's actually talking about his mother apart from with Catherine Keener and like little glimpses throughout the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is just heart-wrenching and tender. And this is when she's like, let's get out of here. Like, and then they kiss and like the water in the background, like the way the scene is lit, it's like very sparkly. Like this Mm -hmm. is a, this is an escape. This is as far as they can get from the house, which is right. like this Boonwellian, like, crucible, like, chamber, that, like, locked chamber that they can't get out of. Yeah. And this is as far as away as they can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, and then that cuts oh, I think, with... I think that would be an, a good Oscar clip. Well, I think that it would be a surprising Oscar clip and that it would show us a different shade of the performance. Yeah. But I do think that 
it would be boring in a way because in, if this was not a genre movie, that would obviously be the clip. Right. Like the big, mm-hmm. like I think a great clip would be yeah. him talking to Caleb Landry Jones and saying, too brutal for me. Like, mm-hmm. again, the way that he's able to be working on different layers at the same right. time and yeah. getting a couple different performances at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is intercutting with the auction. And this is when, and this is hugely absurdist, hugely surreal. These are the words the, of the, the, the podcast. The pull, the pull out, the slow pull out to reveal that his pictures just yeah, sitting yeah. there. Yeah. Then and um and then you've got all of the party like goers. Like a funeral. Like a funeral. Yeah. And at first and it's just with the sort of like crushing music, like it's mm-hmm. very somber and dirge like if I remember correctly yeah. from six hours ago. Yeah. And yes, exactly, Brandon, like this pull out on his face and he's like doing different numbers with his hands. Very and then we aggressively see, too. Yes. Pointing. Well you get there's a feeling of ritual to it. This has been done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And then we see Chris's picture, and we still don't. We now this is the first time we have absolute confirmation, not through microaggressions, not through subtext, yeah. like through an image on the screen, and not the sunken place either. Like mm-hmm. that actually probably is your first absolute marker, but this is the first time you realize like everyone is working against him because yeah. it's a crowd scene, right? Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so we're cutting between that and them at the lake, yeah. And then Stephen Root is the one who uh, wins the auction. He wins. Um, I want those things you see through. And then where does it go? And then we go into... Now we're back at the house, and Chris is upstairs. They're packing. Oh, oh he's, no. he's no, like, for, we for, gotta go. This is when he calls Rod. Yes. And he, then Rod's like, leave. He, well, he texts Rod the picture of Lakeith Stanfield. Mm. Oh, and then... yeah, And, he, he, and, 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 and then Rod immediately calls he him. Says, he says, this guy's been missing. Yeah. You yeah. gotta get out of that house. Well, and, and what it is is that earlier in the movie when they're by the lake... Uh, Chris says to Rose, "Like I know that guy. I know I've I know I've seen that guy before." Yeah. And then Rod says, "Like he used to work at the movie theater and he was dating friend of a friend." And then and then that's when it lands for Chris that like there's abduction. Like with us, we see the auction. We know that Chris is about to be taken over. And he comes right. across that box of photos too. Well, that's next. Yeah. And he sees the. He it, sees the. Um, and it's, it, it's a great reveal because first it's the grandpa and Betty yeah. Gabriel. Yeah. Well, first it's photos of. Just rose as a teen, like in the sound of music or something, mm-hmm. and like a gown with puffy sleeves. And then it's her with the black guy. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we know that something is up is because she says in the very first scene that they're together that Chris is the first black guy she's ever dated. Mm-hmm. And then it's just right. one picture after another, her with a bunch of different African American men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, then we see the grandpa. But for me, the hardest one. Oh, guys, we skipped completely over Betty Gabriel's. No, I was no, 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 no. Ask, when does that happen? That happens in the party. Before oh, it happens in he, the party. He goes to get his phone and he sees it's unplugged. Yeah. And then when she. Yeah, let's go creep, back. Let's talk about When this. she creeps into the room and she's like explaining i love that scene where she's explaining i unplugged your like, phone to clean the table and i and said then i believe I, I owe you an apology i just didn't want to disturb it any further I, this is another example of this movie's re- like surrealism and recontextualization is that the the image of a phone unplugged mm-hmm. is also very scary and unsettling and deprives you of your own agency yeah and and you know that also is hitchcockian in a very contemporary sense right what prompts her nose. What is it that Chris says? Chris, Chris says Chris, like Chris says, and it's great because we're we're pushing out on a close up with Chris, and there's a painting in the background that's red, and it's just this very striking image. And he says like, "Yeah, I'm sorry. I guess I'm on edge because um, when, I'm around, when, when I'm around these... when I'm around a lot of white people, I I get uncomfortable." Mm-hmm. And then we're on her face, and then tears start streaming down her face. 
And then, no, 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 no. That's never been my experience. Oh, I'm always comfortable. There's also a great Lakeith Stanfield moment before the flash goes off where Chris is asked at the party by an Asian American gentleman. Um, how has the black experience uh, oh, been for God. you? And then he, he feels it to Lakeith. And then Lakeith says, like, oh, I believe in my experience, or in my life, the African-American experience has been pretty good. <laughs> like, or something like that. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Um, but, uh, yeah, Betty Gabriel should have been nominated for an Oscar. I agree. And every time I see the performance, there's no more shades. And it's not just the way that she plays, like, the stiff, upper lip, waspy, white grandma, mm-hmm. who, is she, who she is for the majority of the film, but it's the way that she is fighting back against it. Mm-hmm. Those scenes are the most impactful for me. That she is both able to be scary, cross-eyed, outside a door in the mm-hmm. middle of the night, and then really shake you to your core in that no, 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 no close-up, especially when you know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible performance, like a true supporting performance, and doing a lot with a little. Yeah. So it's a very Thelma Ritter thing. Oh. Yeah. They come back. Oh wait, sorry. We're. I mean, I'm gonna bring us back to where we were, but the whole reason we're on Georgina is because of the picture with Georgina, and I just want to say that to me is one of the. Oh, where it's like, oh my gosh, she had a lesbian relationship too. <laughs> well, I. That's not how I read it. Um, I read it as like she befriended her, and they were like great pal, like they were gal oh, pals. I read oh, it as lesbian. Well, I read it as lesbian too. And Brandon, you might be right, and this is just another great in in, in the in the photo box of you deciding that characters are queer in the movies yep. we talk about. This is the best one so far. I'm gonna You're back well. you up with that. Yeah, Thank I'm not you. saying it's not true. I think it actually adds a tinge of humor to it. That See, like I think even it, she like. <laughs> needed to acquire a female show. She's also gonna go lesbian. I think yeah. to make this I, happen. That is funny, but I it, it's kind of the saddest, scariest photo in the collection for me mm-hmm. because Betty Gabriel again doing a lot with a little. You just read on her face how happy and at ease she is. Just in one girl. photo. In a photo. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is very. It actually is very. And sad she doesn't. You don't. See and also, her and like also that. that that like her hair has been treated in a way since they've taken over her, and, right. and obviously the way that she's dressed. Like you get an idea and a picture of who this woman was. You this woman is and yeah. the grandpa too you get a feeling right. of what that guy was yes i think because like i'm just predisposed to hook into the emotions of women <laughs> like mm-hmm. the grandpa i'm like <gasps> and with betty Gabriel, i'm like, <gasps> like um so it's just he, sad to me yeah so he decides to leave yeah. uh it's time to go mm-hmm. pack up the bags well it's just great great shots of he closes the door and then roses you once he closes the little door where he found the pictures rose mm-hmm. was behind the door yeah hey baby you know? Yeah, this is when it shifts into, begins the shift into horror, um, in the more conventional sense. In so, the genre way. Yeah. So, he they go downstairs. Like, Rose, we gotta go, get the keys, Rose. And she's fumbling for the keys, the keys, They're the in keys. here somewhere. And, and He's the like, family, let's, let's do it on the run, let's the do it on the run. The family is just quietly mingling. Caleb Landry Jones is twirling the lacrosse stick by the yeah. door. And it all begins with just Bradley Whitford leaning on the fireplace. And what does he say? He's like, the cocoon that we live in. Like, he's talking about, he's talking about God complex. He's talking about bodies as vessels and, and that can be interchanged. Mm-hmm. And we get the great reflection of the fire in his glasses, where, in his eyeballs. It, like, he, he becomes... He's he, a demon. He's Dr. Frankenstein right. yeah. and, and a demon, sure. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Rose is on the steps and he's like, get the keys, get the keys. And she's you know like, I'm I trying, I'm trying. What did she say? You know, I can't do that. You know, I can't do that. Right, babe. You know, I can't do that, babe. That the way 
That would I'm make gonna, a great. I'm op- gonna compliment Allison Williams here. Good. No, I'm that... not saying that she's bad. I'm just saying. That no, I... I think she has only a few skills. <laughs> no, I I know we never said she she's bad, but out. I want I want to single out this moment for her. The way she changes her face and changes every. She's shuffling, shuffling. You know, I can't do that. It's just and it, yeah, and, and she does it. Oh, it's so good. And, and just a, it's a very quick, subtle. Well, not subtle. It's a quick change. Yeah. Um, in in a speech and debate, you used to have to do this thing where you'd be playing different characters, and it was called popping. When you go from like one character, like your hands on your hips, and then you pop into another character, like up here, like completely different facial expressions. Like you have to change into another character without missing a beat, and that's what she does. She pops. Yeah. Um. And then let's just fast forward to he's in the chair downstairs. He's watching the TV well, about the Armistice family. Before she does that pop, like, when Kalia, like, gets really desperate and, like, screaming at her, like, it's, yeah. now it's a whole other layer to the performance. Yeah. But then, I just wanted to say, because he goes back to the sunken place. Like, it's just, it's an even more, uh... Oh, is that when Keener, she... Is, it's when she, she, just, she just, just knocks the side of the glass. And then he just He goes down flat. when Kayla Landry Jones is pushing him with the lacrosse stick. Yeah. When... He's in the sunken place, and we're looking at the life that he's falling from, and Bradley Whitford and Caleb Landry Jones are carrying him out on his head and his feet. Like, that is the moment when it becomes even more literalized, the way that he is losing his agency. Yeah. Like, and he, you... he has lost his body, and we know that because we are watching characters pick him up and move him. Yeah, and it's like a callback to the first scene, too, where Lakeith is being dragged yeah. as well. Yeah. Um. Okay, so he's in the chair. He's watching about the Armature's family. Mm-hmm. And he then he's connected with Stephen Root. Yes. And he says, I don't be calm or whatever. And then I just love that you see <laughs> the young version of Bradley Whiffer and Catherine Keener, even though they look the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's just the, the, the TV that whole, and the deer head above. I just love the whole look of that whole scene. Yeah. And the deer head is a perfectly pa- placed piece of production design because it is a severed head. And that's basically mm. what the surgery is. Should have been nominated for production design too. I agree. Yeah. But it's contemporary. So, yeah. Uh, they like, they like old fashioned. But that le- there's sure. something just so striking about that leather chair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we see and earlier. Pick, pick, pick. Well, yeah, he's scratching, scratching at it. it. Yeah, he's scratching at Which it. Which also becomes extremely important yeah. when he stuffs it in his ears. Well, that, when he pulls out the cotton, it is so exciting. It's a I hooray think, moment. I think my audience applauded or like, yeah. Yeah. woo-hawed, like yeah. when you realize, like when he clocks the bo- With a bocce ball, yeah. like using yeah. the, white, the, the whitest, whitest yeah. uh, blunt instrument yes. <laughs> against like the whitest doctor's assistant. Yeah. But what I love about the fluff is the first time you see it, he's just been scratching so much against that thing and it just pops out. And I remember seeing that for the first time and just thinking, oh, that's a wonderful detail. That is so mm-hmm. evocative and a great example of using a single shot to both explain the pastime and like the character's mental state. Yeah. yeah. And then that later, like that, that's the device that allows him to yeah. go free. Yeah. Ben, you haven't said anything in like 30 minutes. So I, I think you're fading. I have no <laughs> mental capacity anymore. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's accelerate here to the end. Let's get to the horror stuff. Mm-hmm. Where we're in, you you realize this basement where the quote unquote black mold is. It's actually a surgical wing. It's black meld. Uh, yeah, and we get uh, Steam Root in one chair, sawing his head open. Yeah, which is hilarious. And the open chair for eventually Chris, but Chris escapes, and then he impales 
So this begins Chris's escape. Mm-hmm. And this is when it becomes pure horror. And I think it's amazing because typically in a horror film, the black character doesn't make it to the end. But in right. this one, the black character is just... He escapes. Picking them off one by one. And so he impales Bradley Whitfield with the deer head. The deer. <laughs> okay, move on up. And then we get Catherine Keener. The way he kills Catherine Keener, he's like, I, I so badly don't want to have to kill you. But then... Well, there's a great moment before, like just when she sees that he's escaped and he's across, he's at the doorway. Right. She's on the other mm-hmm. end of the room and they just have a moment where they're looking at each other. And then they both lunge for the teacup. He whisks off the table. We yeah. just hear it smash off in the corner. Yeah. And then she stabs through his hand. Yes. And he doesn't flinch. Yeah. Like, he is just so on a mission at this point. The adrenaline is just pumping through his body. And again, Kaluuya fucking killing it. Has just been stabbed through the hand. And he's like, nope, gotta kill this woman. Yep. And then he twists the hand and then, like, shoves it into her eye. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and, then, and then rips it out and keeps going. The, the, the Catherine Keener kill is the one Keener of my favorites. The excellent. Keener kill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the way... That a black character escapes his, you know, captivity and just like barrels his way and kills everyone. And, and it's it's the biggest like taking the horror genre and flipping it on its head. And, and it's, it's so satisfying. It's I mean, so my audience satisfying. was cheering. I'm sure yours was too. Every yeah. time a character went down, and yeah. also because you want these fuckers to go down, and the way he takes them down is just. Mm. There's no further proof that Peel is invested in the satisfaction of his audience than getting to watch Chris kill Cale Landry Jones twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, he comes pops back. back up and then he kills him again. Another horror trope that you know, of course, one of them's gonna come back, right? And that's the one. So then, but so, he's just as easy to take. So then, down. Chris steals Cale Landry Jones's keys and goes out to the car, and then we cut up to Allison Williams eating Fruit Loops, nibble by nibble, and drinking a glass of milk while looking up NCAA prospects. (laughs) One of the most iconic scenes of the film. Chilling. The way she just bites a single, and the the sound design, the the crunch. Mm-hmm. I would have given is this. Is that sound design or mixing, Ben? mixing. Or that'd be editing. That would be editing. Yeah, it'd be editing. Oh. Oh, sound editing. Right. Um, editing and mixing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, great scene. Um... Just real quick, um, I'm going to keep this under 10 seconds, but in the video that Chris is watching about mm-hmm. the procedure, just how yeah. hilarious the wipes are in yeah. the video. Like, it's it, so cheesy. It's, a, yeah, it's like a cheesy 80s video, and it's yeah. also the same font, the Welcome to Col- Colaguila or whatever the procedure is. It's the same blue color and font as the credits of the film. Oh, but nice. Anyway, just the wipes are hilarious. Nice. And it's just like a classic peel touch. Yeah. So he gets in the car, we get the song again, we really you see the night helmet, you realize, oh boy, it's the same, that's what happened to Lakeith. And then Betty Gabriel, he hits her, hits her yeah. has the guilt of the mom. Yeah, they see each other before he runs into Catherine Keener, so she's trying to get out of there. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, so yeah he thinks about his mother, who died in the hit and run, puts her, and, 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 and what I love about Chris's relationship with Georgina is that he is both looking out for her and terrified of her. She's both enemy and someone that he needs to save. He he needs to rescue from captivity, right? And this is a great moment of that, too. So then he puts her in the car. He's trying to drive off. She wakes up. And that's the first time you see... The lobotomizing scar. Yes. Which is also, like, great horror genre stuff. And Mm -hmm. that, like, every... Once we know, like, the twists, once we know what the the horror is going to be, Mm -hmm. everything becomes very literal in the third act of a horror film. Yeah. You know? Like, it's not about... Like, we're not really seeing... Allison William comes out with the gun. We don't see Freddy Krueger in shadows anymore. Like, it's just... 
like when he like extends his limbs in Nightmare on Elm Street, like that shit's gone. Now he's, or it's not like his tongue through the phone. Like it's just Freddy all the time. Yeah. And it's same with like this lobotomizing image, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's literalized. Yeah. So we got Allison Williams with a That's rifle. That's what I struggle with. Yeah. Tell it. So we're at this point where it's full horror, which we're over here at the, this end of the table game for it. Why don't we skipped all the sex slave stuff? But if you want to talk about that too. The Lil Ro Howry asides. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that scene where she um, calls in the other cops. Sex and they slave! Just, and they just laugh. Um, Don't say I never did anything for you guys. I like that scene. Okay, I just think too. it break. Yeah, I think I it didn't like. Attention. I didn't like it the first time, but I liked it the second time. I just think it brings attention too much. And then I think the first two acts of the movie are so, like, lo-fi. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And that is, like, what I... I'm attracted to in a horror movie. Sure. And once it becomes a slasher movie, I'm totally disengaged. Not totally. I mean, like, I'm totally engaged with the slasher genre. Yeah. Not in this movie. It works better for me here, but it's still, it's a barrier for me. I would argue yeah. that and I think struggle that the, with And I think that. that the tone of the characters changes so much, which is totally intentional, because now the white people are the caricatures that they are in their souls, and that's a point. But it's, like, such a jarring change for yeah. me. I, I, I would that's a problem. I would argue that it's not, obviously, but that, that lo-fi escalation and the tension that you want back, mm-hmm. it is all leading up to this. No, I know. I just think it's just hard and for it, me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it shows Peel's, You don't like horror. No. It shows uh, Peel's affinity for the genre. Like, mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, you know that he wanted to get to the point. Like, he's, of course, interested in all of it. Yeah. But he wants to get to the explosive 20 minutes where he doesn't only set the house on fire, but he impales Bradley Whitford with right. the horns of a severed deer head yeah like that's as someone who is interested in the genre Mm -hmm. that is what you're looking forward to do right and how you stage it like this is your opportunity to do it right and and again i think that he builds the tension to give himself permission so it feels like you have built up to it that it feels earned yeah so i would say like well i'll say that I i think it's earned i think it's just so viscerally satisfying sure because you just want to punch these people in the face the whole movie. And to and see you, them all get brutally murdered yeah. by Chris is like, oh, hell yeah. Well, you find, like, you want to punch them in the face, or at least a slap, when they're just saying all of these lowercase r racist things to him throughout the movie. And then once you find out that they're trying to steal his body, I guess we didn't describe what the procedure is, but everyone knows if they're listening, but basically it's the idea that a, a white person is going to buy the body of a black person. They're going to have some of their brain put into the black person's body. Mm-hmm. That individual uh, whose body it is is going to go to, go to the sorry is going to the sunken place. Will retain motor function, but will be living their life as an audience, as a spectator. And mm-hmm. the white person who has purchased them is going to be in charge of cognitive function. Right. Right. Anyway, um, Jesus Christ, it's it, just hard for me. Like, it's not as satisfying for them to die once they've become caricatures. But here's me. but this is what this is what I was going to say before I got off topic here. You want to slap them for the lowercase r stuff. When you find out it's capital R, you're so incensed as an audience member that you want retribution even more. And so watching them all get murdered, like yeah. I'm not seeing them as caricatures. I'm seeing them as the same people they've been the entire time. I've been, I'm seeing them as now liars. Mm-hmm. Not just people who are insensitive, but liars and manipulators and uh, criminals. Okay. Murderers, really. Right. And they deserve to go down. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you are right in that they do become even more highly caricaturized by yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't feel incongruous to me. It works for me. I will say the first time... It works for the overwhelming majority of America. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw it, it was um, jarring. And it wasn't... I don't even know if I want to say this, but like, wasn't there that really stupid 
like critique of the movie. Did you guys hear about this? Where like they were some voices. Why could you? Why are you cheering for them to die? That thing. I did hear that. It was that, and it was like, why is the black person going to such extreme violence so suddenly? Like they thought that was problematic. He's fighting for his life. Yeah, I don't agree with. But these. also, he will literally die. I yeah. don't agree with these critiques. But I, I rem- I'm flashing back to like March when like. After it had come out, and the think pieces Here, were starting to, but Peel, I think that Peel is one to the surface. Peel is a step ahead of these arguments because, so we'll we'll uh, fast forward here. So Rose is now, uh, well, I guess I'm, I'll just say it because it's on topic, and then we'll then we'll get to this point in the movie. But when Rose has been shot in the chest, she's on the ground bleeding out, and Chris puts his hands around her neck and starts strangling her to death, and she looks at him with a smiling satisfaction, like. You are now a black man murdering a white woman in the tradition of Othello. Mm-hmm. Like, I think like, that scene is so important. Right. Yeah. And so basically she she's daring him to do it because she knows that by him doing that, he is just validating the racism of all the white right. people who think that this is what black men do. And yeah. then the cop, perfect well, timing, but no, the but cop car. First he removes his hands because he's not going to give her the satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. great, great. Just we'll get that. We're basically at the end here. But before this moment, Walter, the grandpa, comes out, is killing Chris, about to pop his eyes out, and then Chris flashes the camera at him. Right. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. he's like, "Oh man, I just love this moment so much." Like he just calmly walks up to Rose and is like, "Let me do it," and grabs the gun, shoots her, and then kills himself, mm-hmm. which oh, is another yeah, just yeah, yeah. gut wrenching moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just the final piece of punctuation on. This is what these characters, this is what when Betty Gabriel is fighting for her soul and crying, when Lakeith Stanfield is telling him to get out. Like, this is the final moment where it's like, and it actually removes a lot of hope from the equation because it's like, this is what, if Lakeith had an option, he'd do the same thing. The Betty Gabriel character would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You can't, they know that they can't ever recover themselves again. Mm-hmm. That's what's so upsetting about it. Yeah. yeah. And that's their only escape is yeah. to just die. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even without the bleak, like, if it wasn't the TSA friend cop car pulling up. If yeah. even, great great even, reveal, by the way. The door saying airport. It's, it is oh, such yeah. a good reveal. And I, even though it was a studio note, like, I think it works. I think, yeah, I think it works. The, I, I already think, said why, but if you want to yeah. say your, your opinion. No, I mean, we already, yeah, we already talked about it earlier, but I think it works. No, I like the ending. <sighs> it's just the level of stylization that is, uh jarring for me compared to the rest of the movie yeah i mean i guess i just yeah. think it's it stylized be- it from does the get-go become... i mean it's 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 in that cinematic tradition of rosemary's baby or even guess who's coming to dinner like it's, it's already working in a tradition that exists and yeah. therefore guess... become it's already styled it just yeah it feels different to me it does i, I mean it I, is different. i agree it, that it's it, on a, it's on a different octave it feels it is like different. a different movie and it's harder for me to suspend my disbelief Mm-hmm. I, I I really and I've said it a few times and I'm not even saying this to convince you. We just this is a podcast where mm-hmm. we respond to one another. I do think that you are supposed to feel that you are outside of the movie in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like it is it in this point of the horror movie, like of the slasher movie, like when our hero is just fighting for their life. Mm-hmm. This is when you are not supposed to be thinking about how are we going to get here. This is when you stand up on your feet and say get him yeah. and then get out. Yeah. So. It works for me that it's in a different register because that's what happens in these genre movies. And the fact that Peel is infusing it with this social commentary is what makes it both masterful um, as a filmmaker mm-hmm. and his control and understanding of the genre, but makes it brilliant and register on a more uh, profound level. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was marketed. Div- divorced of cinematic anything like about right. real life. 
Yeah. It was marketed as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So when that third act comes, I'm like, nice. I'm like, <laughs> and then, ah, and then, so he's in the cop car, final shot, his face, and then we get the, that, hasha, he should come. It comes back. And then get out on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So satisfying. I said this to you guys. I haven't said it on the mic, but after my rewatch, Get Out would have been number two on my list. Yeah. I probably would have popped it up to six. It was. It's number seven. I would have put it above the Florida Project. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely Lady Bird, Get Out. Nice. Those yeah. are my two films this nice. year. Those are my two darlings this year that I that I love. So I I'm just gonna force us to talk about this. We're about an hour and a half, so we're gonna wrap this up, but I'm going to force us to talk about Louis Benwell, and by which I mean I want the two of you to talk about it because all I did today was cram for this mm-hmm. and I watched the Sweet Charm of the Bourgeoisie and the Exterminating Angel. And I swear to God, if I did it for no reason, I'm gonna be really No, upset. you didn't do it for no reason. Well no, I mean like I I now I'm able to understand the movie in a completely different lens yeah. as well. But but I just want to, especially Ben, who I know is a huge Boonwell fan. Yeah, let's let I Ben. Am. I'm um, just interested to hear. When I was watching uh, The Exterminating Angel the other day again, it just like really struck me uh, that like the way that he doesn't like. What am I trying to say? In re- it's like in relation to how the ending of Get Out doesn't especially work for me. Mm-hmm. Is like The Exterminating Angel is 90 minutes of the first. 80 minutes of Get Out, and it's like, there is no explanation. Mm-hmm. No one, like, it's like... Like, why they can't leave. Yeah, it, and it's like a psychological, like, they it they don't try to leave. It's like they they start getting close to the edge of the room, and they're like, oh, I need to go get this. And then they just give up. And then it's like, there is not a force, and like, I just really love that and i love the way that there's like a dead chicken foot in someone's purse oh yeah and they're just like these the hands and a severed hand remember the hand <laughs> scene <laughs> and like which someone... ends up being some other lady's hand and she yeah. tries to stab it yeah cuts. she's like oh my hand <laughs> get away from me and the way that it just subjectivizes experience i think really informs the way the get out is made especially with the sunken place and like boonwell is very famous for these like elaborate like pieces in the exterminating angel has one there's the stream sequence towards the end that's really oh yeah when these images are layered out like yeah. images of sky and mountain mm-hmm. and faces are and it really reminds me of how the sunken place works yeah in mm-hmm. this movie it's, and... it's a break from the very real and surrealistic but like they're in they're in a house they are yeah. the one percent in ball gowns and everything mm-hmm. and then it cuts to this like ethereal place mm-hmm. and in a different dimension. the way that it's it says so much about the upper class mm-hmm. and the way that Boonwell hates the upper class, basically. Yeah. And uh, the the it's the way that the like the maids and the butlers they know they knew to get out. They, they leave. Knew, they get out. Yeah. They leave. The guy is like, "I'm running to the store," and he's like, "We have guests coming. If you're leaving, don't come back." It, it's gone. It's the first interaction in the movie. It's like, yeah. "Where do you think you're going?" Yeah. Oh, I'm getting out of here. I am gone. I just like how they the whole coming. the whole premise of Exterminate Angel is just like these bougie fucking people just don't have the common courtesy to 
leave when they know the party is winding down mm-hmm. and that is the inciting incident yeah yes. that they, and and just and starting with that kernel yeah. is just so and it amazing. Evolves into chaos, chaos and disarray. Chaos. There's poor lambs. And they, mm-hmm. Yeah, poor they're lambs. just eating these animals. Oh, that yeah. Roasting them on a spit. <laughs> also, the the original uh, bracing of the sink is in this mm-hmm. movie when the yes. pipe when they're trying to break into the pipe. Yeah, yeah. but I just quickly because um, I think I'm just interested in what Brandon said about like that being the kernel that eventually pops into this like really gross popcorn. Um, Love popcorn, right? Oh, I wish we were eating popcorn right now. Um, Hello, TJ. But like, what is it? What is it that incites the imprisonment? I don't think that it's anything literal. Obviously, I think right. the fact that it's so um, nebulous and amorphous is part of the point. Mm-hmm. But I read it as the fact that they stay is a social faux pas, which is yeah. said literally. Right. And because they don't know what to do outside of the trappings of their own polite society, yeah. this learned behavior, this codification of socialization, as soon as that veneer is shattered and people are crashing on the couches, they can't recover. Right. That's what traps them, and that's why they have to re-simulate the end of the night in order to escape. Right, 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 right. right? I just love the next morning when they're like, well... Are you? Oh, there's coffee. Oh, okay. Cold, <laughs> great breakfast. Cold cuts and coffee. Yeah, I was like, ew. Um, yeah, it's, that sounds disgusting. Uh, but and yes, yeah. I love that it's like it's a cyclical thing. In the exterminating angel, it happens in the church at the end, and then right. the last shot is it's not subtle, but it's not bad either. It's just sheep walking into the church. Oh, there's sheep. Well, yeah. then there's that shooting that happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's chaos outside. Mm-hmm. But then I, I always imagine, well, not always. I saw it for the first time today. But I imagine it as a time lapse similar to how everyone's kids and the whole town eventually gathers outside the mansion because mm-hmm. of what's going on inside. That has happened again and it's devolved into chaos outside. Yeah. And it's as if to say, like, you don't have to be inside this crucible that Boonwell has created, whether it's a church or a mansion. Like, the whole world is one of those spaces. Right. The, t- the courtyard where people are going crazy and people are getting shot in the street. There's no there's no difference. There's no daylight between that and then what's happening in the church next door. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, it is just such a brutal takedown of the upper class. Yeah. And just the idea that, like, these people have no idea what to do as yeah. soon as they are taken away from their power and privilege. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things the that the is flies. so, like, what Boonwell is focused on is, like, uh, what we think of as society versus the animal in us. Yes. And that is really on display in Get Out, like, quite literally. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love in The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie that it's literally every other scene is they are trying to sit down to a meal and they can't because there's a funeral or because the the host of the party just wants to fuck really bad before lunch, or or, or the three men are getting arrested for uh, shipping cocaine through South America yes. into France, and it's just like it is the most absurd. There's no plot. Yeah. I loved that movie. Me too. The it's fact brilliant. that the majority of their conversations, as they're just trying to get to these meals, I'm trying and to have they, a slice of pate. They're, they're just, so they're just, they're just talking about. They're just trying to slide it on a cracker. They're just talking about like their pre-cocktails they're having. Yeah. Like, well, I'll do my gin this way. It's like way. the most the perfect basic. way to make a cocktail. Yes. <laughs> oh god, they, and, and, they and invent, that's all they know how to talk about. Yes, is they, the thing. And, and yes. but they feel power in it. They invite the chauffeur to come inside because they know he'll drink the martini in a single gulp, which is. So so déclassé, mm-hmm. like yeah, it's brilliant, and I love that they can't eat dinner because either sins of their own making are coming back to them. They are just too concerned with their own bullshit in mm-hmm. order to 
deal with it or there is too much of a closeness between them and regular people and that yeah. makes them uncomfortable when the it's their own the fault for all the, whenever they can't to eat. visit yes the priest slash gardener yeah and then he oh, puts yeah. on the gardener outfit and so they totally dismiss him they're like you're just letting anybody in off the street? Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, he's uh He's the Monsignor. They just a... love when they all get like gunned down at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> and, then, and then it's a dream. Like, Fernando Ray like reaches up to like grab the cutlet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As he's getting shot, which is just also such a like a rich white By, by the way, while we're talking about discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, am oh I gonna my... make the Jean Dealman reference or is someone else gonna do it? You do it. I mean, do it. Delphine Seyrig, star of Jean Dillman, the titular star of Jean Dillman, right. is one of the wives <gasps> in Discreet right. Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Wait, which wife is she? Jean Dillman gets one. gunned down. Yeah. In this film. That's oh right. fuck! I'm gonna have to rewatch just to see her. I yeah. for, I didn't even register. Yeah, she's in a blonde wig. Yeah, it's fantastic. Love it. Um, and then it's interspersed with scenes of the revolution. Yes. And like. What's all the political uproar well, in France of that? Era. And, and about how right. the, and about how the France right. is upper class. And this is where, like, I just want to take a semester long course on the politics of France at that time right. and international politics as well. So, like, what are their relationships with that South American country that he's the ambassador for? Yeah. Which is not a real country, but like, what's right. the analog? Miranda. Like, what's going on? Like, obviously, Vietnam is brought up, and we all know that French Indochina is what mm-hmm. Vietnam was called when it was under French rule. Like. I, I just love to know more about that, but I love the way that Bunuel, uh sends the upper French class on a collision course with the clergy, with the military, with changing cultural tides around things like marijuana. Like, and they just—it's a language they don't speak, and they're just constantly trying to assert their dominance yeah. and like the language that they know over these foreign terrains, mm-hmm. and it's hilarious. Yeah, on top of them just trying to fuck before lunch. Just trying to fuck before lunch. And I then they're that. so in mad the that they left. Yeah. I love, they still, <laughs> Where they did still, they go? They still have hay in their yeah. hair when they're talking to the priest. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what? They left? <laughs> oh, we didn't fuck that long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take us away. Uh, this has been Movies IMO. Um, uh, my name is Daniel Crook. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Crook with three O's. And that when the hot and bothered French couple just wants to fuck are climbing down a trellis out of their window. And she just lies down. And then, yeah, and, and he's like, let's just go a little bit further behind the bush. The bush. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, and she lay down, lay down. She starts unhooking like her garters. Um, it reminds me of Gene Hackman trying to escape his house in the birdcage. Um, you can find Movies IMO on Twitter, at Movies IMO. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. We'll take five stars and nothing less. Um, but if it's less, please uh, leave a review with that <laughs> low rating so I can tattoo it on my chest. Um, and yeah, that's that's it for me. I'm Ben MP. You can find me on Twitter, at Real Todd Haynes. And I'm Brandon Kirby. You can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. All right, so um, I think we're just going to... Everyone also watch Belle du Jour. We didn't really talk about Yeah, well, Belle du Jour is... Oh, when yeah, you're talking about really, Get Out, it doesn't, it doesn't, relate, doesn't really apply. But it's very... But it's my favorite. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, and Get Out's uh, continuing of the tradition for peeling back the white upper-class face is pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> The way Pretty you good. set up every time. <laughs> Pretty All right. good. The winner is Jane Fonda.
Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.